we have two scriptures this morning, just two verses. The first one is in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Just one verse is verse 8. Genesis 6 and verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found grace. Notice the terminology of it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The second reading is in Revelation chapter 22. And it's again only one verse. And it's the last verse of the Bible. John writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So be it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's just by a word of prayer. Father, settle our hearts, settle every mind and spirit in this house this morning. Speak your word into us. And help us, Lord, to see you more clearly. And Father, we ask you as our faces differ, so do our needs, that you would meet everyone at that point. And Lord, that you would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To entitle this this morning is just simply grace found in the Old and New Testaments. People think that it's only the New Testament grace is in. Grace is right through the Scriptures. And people think it's just because of the cross there's grace. Grace maybe takes on a, 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 different, or a, a, a different role, if we can put it like that, but there was always grace. I want to show you that this morning. God was always gracious. God is always kind. Even in Old Testament times, before a codified law, there was a law of sacrifice, but before a codified law in Moses, there was grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We have dedicated a little Karis joy this morning, and Karis's name in the Greek means grace. That's our English. It's the Greek equivalent of our English word grace. And so we want to look at grace this morning. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The word grace here is a Hebrew word, Cain. And Cain is, it's determined like this. It means favor. Noah found favor. Goodwill. Listen, Noah found acceptance in the eyes of the Lord. It means and gives the idea of one who is well-favored. Noah was well-favored by the Lord, by Yahweh, by Jehovah. It gives the idea of one who is superior, bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. I'll say it again, for I want you to get it, because it's important. We speak of grace, saved by grace. We speak of grace, sovereign grace. But everyone on this planet are under a measure of grace. In other words, it's what's called common grace, or as the Dutch reformers called it, general grace. When you get up in the morning and you have food in your cupboards, that's grace of God for you. When your heart is beating in your chest and your lungs are breathing in and out this morning, you're living in grace, a time, a period of grace. God 
God's always gracious. Whenever you have clothes on your back that you've come here with this morning, that's grace. But grace is a a, a word that needs expanded for you. It means you've been favored to a degree, but there's saving grace when a man and a woman comes to faith in Christ. And so here, it means one who is superior, bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. In other words, God, Jehovah, Yahweh himself, bowed down, the superior bowed down. He stooped down in kindness to Noah, an inferior. That's grace, stooping, coming down from the high heavens to the lowest earth. On earth that was filled with violence and murder, with all sorts of sin that God had already determined his wrath would be poured out upon it and judgment would come. And and, and all of it, God is justified in this. People say, oh, what sort of a God is that? It's not what sort of a God is it. What sort of a humanity are we? God is a good God. And he's showing grace. The idea here, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it isn't that he went seeking grace because he was a man, he was a human, and in his flesh, all he knew was sacrifice and offering from his forefathers. And at that, he must have thought, if I don't do this, God is such a hard God. But he didn't know the heart of God because God loved him. God loved Noah before Noah knew God loved him. Did you know that? And God loved you before you even knew him, before you even knew or know that he loves you and loved you. And the idea of it is here, the word found, Noah found grace, is the word Massah. And listen to what it means. It means to meet. Noah met with grace. Noah met with favor and goodwill. Noah met with acceptance in God. It means Noah met the one who was superior. He bowed down and he stooped down in kindness to him. So matzah means to meet or to have an encounter with. Noah had an encounter with the grace of God. Have you had an encounter with the grace of God? It means that uh, this word masad or found, it means to come upon. Grace came upon Noah. In a world of darkness, in a world of sin, in a world under judgment, God came himself because Noah couldn't come to God, nor could any man. And neither can you and I. God had to come. You know the old song, he came to me. He came to me when I couldn't come to where he was. He came to me. Well, he came to Noah. And he says, in this world of darkness and sin and debauchery and all that's going on and the violence and the murder and all of the hatred of the darkness of this fallen world, he says, but there I will come. And he came and he encountered God there. You see, salvation is only through an encounter with God. It's not through an encounter of our emotions or it's not an encounter of who we think we are. It's not an encounter of what we think we can do, achieve, or the church we go to. It's an encounter with God and where do we meet him but at a place of grace where the superior bowed down and stooped down in kindness to an inferior, that is you and to me, and hung on a cross and bled and died. The only place you can go to heaven, the only place you can be forgiven, 
as a Calvary. An encounter with God in the person of his son. An encounter with God in Christ. It's the only place in all of the universe that you can be saved. Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to the cross? Have you received the grace? Have you encountered it? It means to meet, to encounter, to find out. Find out that it's not of me. Noah's going, I don't know what's going on here, but this word is going mad. Do you ever think the word's going mad at the minute? And a word of darkness, and, and you can see it, and you're going, maybe surely something's not right here. What way is our society going? And Noah's seen that, but he couldn't, he couldn't save himself. And God comes and warns him of a judgment. He didn't even know that judgment was coming. He didn't even know. Listen, when the Lord tells him to build an ark and gives him the dimensions of it, he didn't even know what rain was because the earth was watered in the mornings. He wasn't living beside a seaside. He was living in the heart of land and everyone would laugh at him because he's saying, this is a dry and a barren land here. There's not too much going on around here and you want me to build a boat. The Lord says, it's my word. You trust me and my word, what it says. And you'll receive my, this is my grace to you if you receive it. So Noah found grace. It came upon him. It means he discovered it's not about him. It's about God coming to him. And grace, salvation is not about you and I. It's, a, it's for you and I. It, it's about Christ coming and dying for us. It means to come into possession of, it means it appeared to him, whether that means that the Lord appeared in a theophany, whether it means he visibly appeared to him, I don't know. Whether it just was an awakening in his heart and mind as God spoke to him, I don't know. But it means it appeared to him, and it also means he found it meant he realized and found the grace, what God was telling him, sufficient. In other words, Lord, what you're doing, what you're telling me, if I obey it, if I come to build this ark, or if I come to Christ on the cross, you are sufficient for me. Everything you've done is sufficient. It's enough. So the very first mention of our English word grace in the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe sometimes, even Christian, we wonder where the grace is. (laughs) There's always grace. Grace to one man, Noah. Grace was told taught and preached through one man, Noah. He became a preacher of righteousness, telling the people, warning the people. Grace came upon him and all who received the word, all who entered into the ark would be saved. All who encountered this grace would find that God's word, God's salvation is sufficient. They need do nothing else. They don't pay anything. They don't repay anything. But receive Christ. Receive. They entered into the ark without paying. They would be saved. Grace was always there. But it was refused and rejected. Because of the wickedness of their unregenerated hearts. 
Because of the deadness of their spirits, they were sold out to sin. They were under the mastery of the devil. Grace was always there. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verses 26, 27. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. And he likens his second coming unto the flood in Noah's day. And the judgment that is second coming, he says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. In other words, him coming. They did eat and they drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, here they were given a space of time to get ready. They were given a space of time to be prepared. They were given a space of time and they were warned through the preaching of Noah. They seen something in Noah. They knew that Noah was speaking of an ark and they thought he was mad. They refused the grace of God. 120 years of preaching and there were only eight souls saved. (laughs) Wow, what a a ministry is that? If I was alive for 120 years, never mind, preaching for 120 years, saw only eight souls saved, I'd thought it was a failure. Salvation is by sovereign grace. Salvation is off the Lord. It's not off the pastor or the minister. It's not off the, the priest or the pope. It's off the Lord. And here the Lord says they were getting all my life. They were doing the things of life. The things that they weren't even meant to do, he says, and they did not know. In other words, they were dead to it. Noah was preaching. I'm trusting that no one is hearing this this morning, that no one is hearing this message. And it may even be online. It's on, well, it's on YouTube or iTunes or on the internet or, or wherever it goes out there. All those avenues we put it out there on the Facebook pages and all, it, it, wherever it is and in our service this morning. I hope, I trust, I pray that no one is refusing nor turning from the grace of God that's offered in Christ. Because there's no other way. He says there's a judgment coming. A flood is coming. The waters are coming. We're building an ark and they turned him away and in turning, in turning him away, they turned away salvation. They turned away the grace of God. Grace was there for 120 years. And listen, grace wasn't just an abstract notion of Noah. Grace wasn't an abstract thought, but grace was played out in Noah's life. Grace was shown out in Noah's life. Because Noah was building an ark. Noah was preaching. He was doing the spiritual and he was doing the physical. He was doing that which is eternal and he was building that which was temporal. Noah was showing the grace of God in his life. 120 years of it and none of them would come. I trust there's no stubborn hearts that will say, no, thank you. But you will find grace because it has come to you, spoken to you. You've encountered Christ and you'll counter grace. In 1 Peter 3 and 20, Peter speaks of the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying and going to the grave. 
And he, he, he likens him as a preacher unto the spirits in prison. That's another study for another time. The witness of what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection does, in other words. In other words, it witnesses to the people. Listen, 1 Peter 3 and verse 19, which sometimes were disobedient. When once, notice the term, the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved. Peter says, Peter says that everything of Noah, the ark, pointed to Christ. Salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, through God's word alone. He says it's by grace alone, giving glory to God alone. He's showing the, these, these truths in it, and he's saying, look, even what Christ has done, all those things from the Old Testament, the, the signs and, and the foreshadowings, all pointing to the Christ of God. Notice what he says. Sometimes these ones who died in the flood, he says, sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. You know what he's saying? All that time, all that preaching, all that building, whether it was hammer, nails, saws, wood, chisels, I don't know what he used, but all that time, he says, God was holding back his wrath to a world that was deserving nothing but judgment and justice. He said, God was long-suffering. He should have poured out a deluge even upon Noah. See, there's none righteous, no, not one, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And God is justified in allowing men and women to be lost and even to judge them for time and eternity to be separated from his presence. But grace reaches men and women because he is a God of love. Now, if a man and a woman refuses like they refused an ark, here even as Peter says, the long-suffering of God may be with you, sir, you lady, whoever may be listening. The long-suffering of God is held back. He's holding back wrath. He's holding back judgment. I'm burying a man tomorrow and he died in a blink of an eye sitting with friends and they didn't even know he was dead in the living room facing him. Just died. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And here's the, here's the thing about this. The long-suffering of God was upon this world of darkness. And the long-suffering of God is upon this world of darkness. And soon Christ will return and soon Christ will return, and you and I must be ready as a spotless bride prepared for his coming, washed in the blood of the Lahama, serving the Savior. The term here, the long-suffering of God, waiting in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, shows grace and mercy. Notice, it shows grace and mercy. Put in a nutshell when you ask someone, well, what is grace? Unmerited favor. And it is. What is grace? It's to receive something that we do not deserve. And that's true. It's far more than that. And what is mercy? Mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve. In other words, 
we deserve God to pour out his wrath upon us, even at birth, because of the very nature or depraved nature of our flesh. We deserve because of Adam's fall, his death in the garden. We deserve it, but God's long-suffering, he holds it back from you and I, and he gives us this time, and you hear the preaching of his word, and you see, uh, you see things are happening in God, and you're seeing, as it were, the building of an ark. You should be seeing the grace of God in Christian lives that will attract you to the Savior. The change of lives, the change of heart, the change of living, the change of lifestyle, the change of thinking. And you see it in men and women who were once uh, uh, the very sinners or, or the very, like me, the very chiefest of sinners of the earth. You say, if, here is the building of an ark to the saving of a soul. Here is God. He's doing something in lives. He's moving in hearts. He's touching men and women. And surely if he can save a man like that, and surely if he can save a woman like her, then he can save me. And grace appears, and you encounter him. You encounter Christ. God's holding out for you. But grace may finish at any moment. Few souls were saved. They refused God's grace. Notice what it says here. They were saved by water. Isn't that strange? The water drowns people. But they were saved by water. The eight souls were saved by water. Uh, the idea of this gives the idea of God's righteousness. I need to stay with me for a couple of moments. The idea of it gives the idea of God's righteousness. They were saved by water. It gives the idea they were lifted up and brought through the tribulation carried through. Notice the righteous were not removed from the earth, but the sinners. Just a wee thought for your eschatology there. Anyway, we'll move on. Notice this. They were brought through safely and led back down on the earth when the waters receded. And though the ark saved them, they were in the ark and they were saved. Peter does not teach or express that point. He says the water, the flood, which was death to the grace rejecter. The water which was death to the grace rejecter was life to the grace receiver. They were in the ark. They were lifted by the flood, the, 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 the world of wickedness was washed away. Judgment had come, and they were sat down again, as it were, gently in a new earth, as it were. The idea here is the relation of the people to the water. I don't want to make this difficult, but listen to this. The former or the unsaved those who refused the ark and those who refused the grace of God, they were drowned because they were not rightly related to the water. The latter, the eight souls that were saved, they were saved because they were correctly adjusted to the waters. The waters are the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God banishes forever from his presence those who reject his grace and favor now in this life. 
Listen, friend, if you reject the grace of God, if we try to live outside the grace of God, if we try to even move as Christians outside the grace of God, then we're falling from the grace of God. Those who refused to place their trust in, their sa- in the Savior and get into the ark refused the grace. The waters come. The waters are the righteousness of God. When God deals with men and women at the judgment seat, or when Christ returns to this earth, men and women will be saved or lost. And his righteousness will be like the waters. They will be judged according to the relationship and righteousness, which will be none. They have no right relationship with the waters. They have no right relationship with Christ. They have no right relationship in Christ because they have rejected Christ and because they are not his. They have refused God's grace for salvation. But those of us who are rightly adjusted to the waters are in the ark which is Christ, and God's righteousness will lift us up. God's righteousness covers his people. God's righteousness carries, bears along, and will bear you safely again back down to his kingdom or back into heaven, whatever it may be, or back to his glory. So are you righteous in Christ? For when God's righteousness comes, whether it's in judgment or whether it is at Christ's coming. Where are we? What is your relationship with the righteousness of God? My righteousness, Isaiah 64 and 6 says, are works of righteousness or as filthy rags. No good. Whatever you think you can do, whatever I think I can do, it's no good. Receiving the righteousness of Christ who died on the cross, who kept the law we couldn't keep, Righteous in the Lord Jesus. Those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone will stand perfect, will stand righteousness and are rightly related to him through his precious blood. Now lastly, and just for a few moments, we want to look at Revelation 22 and verse 21. It's the last book, the last chapter of the last book. It's the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of your Bible. Revelation 22, verse 21. The Bible finishes like this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So be it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The the strange thing is in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi chapter 4, it finishes with a curse. You read it when you go home, chapter 4. The Lord speaks in in Malachi chapter 4 and he says, Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Jesus comes and he brings grace and displays it at the cross. We're also told in there, Elijah will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is yet... 
uh, future, as I believe myself personally, it is there'll be a ministry that will rise up of men and women on fire for God, anointed by the Spirit, and they will rise up with miraculous signs, wonders. They'll be preaching the Word of God and truth. They'll be laying all hands on the sick and they'll recover. They're, and, and it's happening. But I believe this will be in a darkness of this world as it gets darker. God is going to raise up preachers and people and men and women and he's going to move in them by the power of his spirit and they're going to live for him and they are going to change our land. They're going to change our nation. Ireland will be changed. Ulster will be changed. Britain will be changed. Our whole nations will be changed. I believe God will raise us up. Showing grace to this land. Grace to this people. In a darkened world like it was in the days of Noah. The coming of Christ. And there's a curse coming, God says. But in Jesus, there's blessing. And there's salvation. And there's grace. And there's mercy. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. There's a curse under the Old Testament. Grace in the New Covenant. Grace describes God's dealing with man on the basis of that new covenant. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 14, speaks of the Lord Jesus and says, He is full of grace. Thank goodness for that. He's full of grace. It just doesn't mean he's a man who's good. It means he's deity who's full of grace and truth. And 1 John 1 and 17 says, Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Real grace. The grace that Noah found pointed to this man coming. The grace that others found pointed to this one coming. And it all culminates in Christ. There's nothing else outside of him. Grace, as I said, can be described as unmerited favor to receive something that we do not deserve. But the word grace used through the New Testament, Cain is generally used in the Old Testament. Grace in the New Testament is the word charis. Charis means divine favor. Charis means that which affords joy. We charis joy got dedicated to the Lord today. Charis or grace means pleasure. Give pleasure. Charis or grace means to benefit from it. Charis for grace, again, it, it, it is the merciful kindness of God and his influence upon the souls of men and women to turn them to Christ. That's what grace is. God's influence upon the souls of men and women from every walk of life. Especially here in Ulster, it's either Protestant or Catholic. It's nothing to do with whether you're growing up in a Protestant place or a Catholic place. It's to do with whether you have come to the place called Calvary and you know Christ, the Christ of God. It's in Him and Him alone. The kindness of God and His influence upon souls turning them to Christ. It's God's influence of grace keeps the Christian, strengthens them, increases them in their Christian faith and encourages them 
to walk in Christian values than to be Christ-like. Grace is not a license to sin, but an empowerment to live righteous. That's the difference. Grace is not a license to sin, but grace is an empowerment to live righteous. Grace or charis is a spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. For example, the word charis in the Greek, coming from the Greek language, the word charis for grace, the Greeks were lovers of beautiful things. The beauty of nature, art, poetry, oratory architecture and philosophy. Anything beautiful or that seemed beautiful to man, the Greeks, they just loved all of this. The Greeks, for example, had wonder and admiration, pleasure and joy, and they designated all of this to the word charis. It became known as a favor done without expectation of return. Now take note of that. Grace became known as a favor done without any expectation of return, but it was given out of the generosity of the giver. In other words, they had a, 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 someone had a generous heart, they gave to those who could not give in return. And Jesus said that, didn't he? Given, if you're given to those who are always expecting to get returned from, he says, and really you're not giving at all. But if you're giving, if you're reaching your as it were, in a sense, superior, bowing down and stooping down to an inferior who has less than you, and you're giving them, not expecting anything in return, that is grace. That's Christ-like. That's charis. But this word charis goes a little further again. When we speak of grace or charis in the New Testament, Christ In Christ, it gives us an example of what we find in him. And it is infinitely greater than that of what even the pagan Greeks used it for. Kenneth Woos, the Greek scholar, uh, put it like this. This is my favorite rendering for this word, charis, or for grace. And he says that grace or charis is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in one's life the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in one's life. Isn't that what happened in Noah's day? He encountered grace. He, uh, grace found him, as it were, and he awakened unto grace. And so it showed in his life. He started obeying God and building an ark and preaching the word. He thought of things temporal and eternal, natural and supernatural. And these are the things that grace does in the life of a believer. When you come to saving faith in Christ, you should be a supernatural person. You should be looking for the things of the Spirit, yet serving with the hands and the feet. Looking for the things that God will do in you and through you for others. So divine influence upon the heart. I'm, going, I'm coming to a close and that's me finished. Thank you for your attention. Charis. Grace. Let me give you an example. I've given this church an example of this before. I want to just give you it again. It must be, I don't know, how long was I? I was away for a week there. Was it a month or so ago, six weeks ago? 
I remember just sitting on a bench overlooking the sea. It was in Tenerife. The sun was just a nice temperature. It was beautiful. I remember sitting with Alison and the girls and just sitting over, looking over the sea. I'm almost there already again. Oh. Remember, I remember and the, the beach was all around the corner a bit and the waves were crashing over the stones and the girls were building wee stone piles up just playing on these rocks. Remember sitting with Alison like this and saying, oh, oh it's not great. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you ever get like that? Remember there's a gentle breeze that cools you down at the right time and the grass gently blows and you're away from any hustle or worries or trouble and everything's a million miles away and you're just, oh, this is wonderful. That's charis. That's what the Greeks used for charis. In other words, it gives the idea of the property in a thing which causes it to give joy to the hearers or the beholders of it. They used to walk down through Athens and they'd have heard someone in Athens and maybe they were an orator or, or one of the great uh, philosophers and they'd have stood in the streets listening and they received something and it caused joy in their hearts and they thought it was beautiful and that's called charis. When you receive something from a, a, a song maybe you've heard and, and or you're on that holiday or wherever it is and everything's... Oh, it's a property in that. There was a property in where I was sitting. There was a property with Alison and I together, spending time as a family. There was a property with that sun gently shining on us in the wind, the breeze, just at a nice time. There was a property in just breathing it in and feeling the, the very comfort of it and the relaxation of it. That was the charis. Paul takes the charis. And writers of the New Testament, he brings it right into the New Testament And he magnifies it to show Christ. And he says, when a man and a woman who are in their sin come to know Christ, they taste and see that the Lord is good. They realize it's not what I have done. It's not who I am. It's not who I've become. It's nowhere that I can go. It's trusting in nothing else. But in Jesus alone, isn't he wonderful? That's what Caris Grace is. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he marvelous? That's grace. That's charis. It's the Christian who finds themselves that they have failed. Listen, we all fail all the time. I'm not saying we should, but we do. It's the Christian who feels, Lord, I can't. I can't serve you. I can't do this or that. I can't go there. I can't, Lord, I have no more strength. Lord, Lord, I've failed you too much. I can't. It's when you realize and have an encounter afresh with Karis. Oh, you're so good. He enables you to go on. He says, I still love you. Get up and go. Come on, you can do it in me. That's grace and that's Karis. I finish with saying this. Grace is what is usually beyond the ordinary course of what might be expected. And you and I may expect things according to our levels of love and our levels of acceptance. 
And we think, well, Lord, you could never love me or accept me as I am. And he says, ah, I go beyond your ordinary course. I superabound in my grace over your sin. He says, it's in me. I'm not like you, but I want to make you like me. Do you know joy? comes from the same root word as charis. It's kara. So charis and kara are really the same word. And joy is the product of the grace. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is full of grace and truth. Oh, praise Jesus. That's charis. Jesus says to those who know him, trust in him, who have received him, who are saved by grace through faith, and not of yourselves is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus says on that day, when you stand before him, he will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy, the cutoff of the Lord, living in a kingdom of grace. And God bless his word. Time is flowing to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.